Welcome to CTSI Science Cafe, a community engagement initiative of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. This program is recorded in front of our live community audience at St. Anne's Center for Intergenerational Care, Bucyrus Campus in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This June 2017 Science Cafe features a presentation and community conversation focusing on treatment advances in breast cancer. Our presenter is Dr. Carmen Burgum, Assistant Professor, Department of Radiation Oncology at the Medical College of Wisconsin. Here now is Dr. Carmen Burgum. Thank you all so much. It's an honor to come and speak to you tonight, and um, hopefully I'm able to tell you some knowledge that you didn't know before, and to tell you about some, uh, a little bit of the basics of breast cancer, but also some of the exciting new advances in breast cancer research and treatment. I am very involved with breast cancer treatment and research, so my passion is to try to improve breast cancer outcomes. I was trained in both research and clinical studies that has allowed me to be both a clinician treating breast cancer patients on a weekly basis, but also to conduct research studies. There's a wide spectrum of research. You can be studying cells for something very basic. You could be studying tissues or an organism, or you could be doing research um, as a clinical study, looking at a new treatment. Um, or you could be doing research out in the community. So um, myself, I do some more what we would call basic or translational research on cells, um, preclinical models, but I also um, conduct clinical trials for patients who have breast cancer. As many of you might know, breast cancer is the most common cancer in women. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime, which is a pretty astounding number. In the U.S. alone, there's 250,000 women a year who are diagnosed with breast cancer. And uh, even though we have made good strides in improving breast cancer outcomes, about 40,000 women a year die of breast cancer, which is still too many. If you think about it's a, a city of 40,000 people, how large that is, and you think about all those people being gone in a year from one disease, from breast cancer, it's pretty astounding. So I was going to touch upon some of those aspects today. Some of the risk factors for breast cancer, the main ones, surprising to some people, is actually age. So as we get older, we have more and more risk of getting breast cancer. Um, you know, you may notice you don't see a lot of young people, very young people, who are diagnosed with breast cancer. It can happen, but it's much more infrequent. There are a number of other risk factors for breast cancer, family history. Um, there is a lot of discussion about hereditary breast cancer, and that's one of the great research advances we've made is we've discovered that certain small portion of people inherit a gene that predisposes them to get breast cancer. But actually, the proportion of, of the 250,000 patients a year who have a hereditary form of breast cancer is only 5 to 10% of patients. There's been a lot of attention recently about a lot of different cancer screenings, but one of the cancer screenings that um, we luckily do have is for breast cancer. It's mammograms. Mammograms have really been an amazing advancement because what we saw when mammogram was instituted more widely is we started to detect the cancers earlier and earlier. 
at much more uh, curable stages, um, either the non-invasive or stage zero type or stage one or two. However, some other cancers, either they grow more aggressively or sometimes patients may have a lapse or not be getting regular mammograms, those can be detected by feeling a tumor. Um, or if you go to the doctor for something else and you have an exam or some other imaging study, you can detect it. So we have seen better outcomes for breast cancer over the past 20 to 30 years. If we look um, at statistics in the United States in the past 30 years, we have had a decrease in breast cancer deaths by about one-third, about 35% or so. Um, and in that time period, the amount of breast cancer cases were about the same. We don't have less cases, but we do have better outcomes as far as breast cancer survival. So that's a, a great advance, but we still have 40,000 women a year that are dying of breast cancer, so still way too many. Breast cancer um, does spread in the vast majority of patients very predictably. So that actually helps us to determine what to do in the cancer workup. If you know someone who's had cancer or you've had cancer yourself, there's a, kind of a nice a chain of events that we use to, if someone is diagnosed with breast cancer, um, they get a mammogram, perhaps that's abnormal, you get a biopsy that shows indeed the cells are cancer, that leads to further workup. Um, and how usually how breast cancer spreads, if it has spread, is tumor can grow, of course, but then tumor cells, standardly, if they're going to spread, often spread to the lymph nodes, usually under the arm. From there, there are other lymph node regions that the cancer cells can travel to, and then they can travel into the blood or to other sites. So uh, when a patient is uh, diagnosed with breast cancer, one of the things that we do in the course of the treatment is we determine what is called the stage of breast cancer treatment, or how much it's grown or how far it's spread. And there's a staging system for each type of cancer. And breast cancer is like many other cancers where we really look at three different things to determine a breast cancer stage. The three things we look at are tumor size, whether or not the tumor has spread to the nodes, and then whether or not the tumor has spread outside the nodes to other parts of the body. And then based on that, you get a final stage, which ranges for breast cancer from stage zero to stage four. The way that we treat breast cancer depends on the stage of the cancer, but it also depends upon other factors. Right now, if a patient has breast cancer, besides stage, we look at three main factors that are um, on or in the tumor cells. The three factors are the estrogen receptor, the progesterone receptor, and then something called HER2. And so uh, the great thing about testing for these biomarkers and knowing uh, if a patient's cancer has them or not is that we can tailor the treatment that we give the patient based upon whether or not they have these biomarkers or express high levels of them. So um, many of you might know, a lot may know about these, um, but I was just gonna give you a little bit of a snapshot as to what these are and, and why we target them and how we can target them. So uh, the estrogen receptor, it's like locks on a door. So um, if you imagine a tumor cell, which is like a see-through beach ball, you have a lot of locks inside of it, okay? That's the estrogen receptor. Us women, uh, we make uh, estrogen, and even throughout all of our life, even after menopause, there's a little bit of, there's always some estrogen in, uh, going uh, in, through our blood. That estrogen can go right through the cancer cell and it can go inside of it, and it's like a key that fits into that lock. And when the estrogen receptor and the estrogen um, fit together, they bind together, 
that makes the cell divide and multiply. So uh, it's, it's like turning that cell on, and that's when you get the tumor growth, tumor cell growth. A progesterone receptor works very similarly, except they have a different key. It's a progesterone type key, fits together, and that causes the cells to grow um, and multiply. Of course, we don't want cancer cells to grow and multiply, so we want to stop that. And we actually have different classes of drugs that can stop that um, lock and key from coming together. We have different kinds of drugs that can block the lock, or there are some drugs that will get rid of the keys. Okay, and the, the, in general, tumors that express estrogen, uh, estrogen receptor, um, are addicted to estrogen. They really want estrogen to bind to that receptor and that stimulates their growth. If you can take that away from them, the cells just sit there for a long time and usually will die, although it can take a long time for them to die, but they'll sit there and usually won't grow. So um, at the end of breast, many courses of breast cancer treatment, we give patients drugs, the pills that you take once daily, that can block the lock or take away the keys, but they, most patients have to take them at least five years. Um, and that's because, unfortunately, we can't just take away the, the estrogen or block the lock for a year or two years or three years. When we, then when we take away the drug, often the cancer might grow back. So they've done studies, and this is where clinical trials come in, but they've done studies that have compared different lengths of taking these drugs, and they found that, you know, three years was better than one year, or five years was better than three years. And now even for some higher risk patients, we actually give them seven years or more. So, um, but the very exciting thing is, is that we do have drugs that can block this very important, um, kind of, you can think of it like a reaction, a very important um, initiating factor that makes the cancer cells grow. So we can block that with drugs um, based on discoveries that have been made over the last few decades. Um, and then there's another protein. So we have the estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor. The third thing is something called HER2. And it's actually, a, we call it a growth factor, but it's another protein um, on the cells or in the cells. And if you think about your beach ball again, you can think of HER2 like palm trees that stick out of that, okay? And normally cells can have some HER2 on it. They stick out and they have a normal function in a lot of, in some cells. Um, but what happens in some cancers, about 20% or so cancers of these breast cancers, is you grow too many palm trees, okay? You get way too many of this HER2 protein. And what happens is if the palm trees can touch each other, if there's too many and they can kind of touch each other, they activate each other, and you don't have it in the normal regulation. Um, and so what happens when they start touching each other? or um, activating the cells as the cells start dividing again, which is what we don't want. So in, we test for that, and if patients have too much HER2, or we call it overexpressed, or high levels of HER2 on their cells, we actually have really great drugs, two dr drugs now that are really good at blocking those receptors. You can think of it like putting, putting a little divider between those palm trees so they can't touch each other. So we have really great drugs. Um, it used to be uh, if you had HER2 overexpression on your tumor, those patients with those cancers, those cancers were more aggressive and they did worse. Now with these drugs, these drugs work so well that it kind of brings down um, the uh, aggressiveness, you can think of it, as of these tumors to be more uh, like other 
say an ERPR positive type tumor that, that might be a little less aggressive, okay? So we talked about three markers or biomarkers or proteins um, that are, are in cancer cells that we look at and they help to tell us how to treat a patient, what kind of targeted agents to use. Some patients don't have any of those three markers and those patients are called triple negative breast cancer patients. You may have heard, may have heard of that. And those patients, unfortunately, at this time, we don't have any targeted agents for them. Um, and so for systemic therapy, the mainstay of therapy for them would be chemotherapy. So when we talk about breast cancer treatment, I like to subdivide the general categories of breast cancer treatment into two main areas. Um, we have local treatments, meaning we're treating the cancer in the breast or in the regional lymph nodes, the lymph nodes that are right near there. And then we have systemic treatment. Um, that treatment goes throughout the blood, throughout the body, and can treat a cell, a cell in case a cell went outside of those, those local areas, it can treat those. So the local treatments that we use currently, we have surgery. Of course, it works great. If you take out the tumor, those cells are gone. Those cells aren't gonna grow back there. Unfortunately, often there's a cell outside of that little area, and that's where the other treatments come in. Radiation, which is, which is what I do, um, we, treat, we can treat the breast locally or lymph node areas. Radiation also works really well at decreasing and killing the cells where we treat it. But if there's a cell outside of where we did surgery or right outside of where we did radiation, that's where a problem can come in where that cell can grow back. So that's where we, we often, with patients uh, with invasive cancer, use a combination of local and systemic treatments, and that seems to work best. So you may um, hear someone ask a question or may have a question yourself, well, why does somebody need radiation if they got chemotherapy? Or why does someone need chemotherapy if they got radiation? Um, but one doesn't necessarily substitute for another because one is a local treatment and one is a systemic treatment. So um, uh, the surgery, uh, the main types of surgery are removing the tumor, which is commonly called a lumpectomy, or um, sometimes the whole breast is removed, which is called a mastectomy. Um, and then as we mentioned, often during the surgery, um, uh, for any invasive cancer, usually the lymph nodes are sampled. And so what they do is often, if, if there isn't evidence of lymph node involvement, is they will check to see if there are any cells that travel to a lymph node. And if so, sometimes they remove more lymph nodes or do other treatments to make sure that we um, take care of any cells that are in those lymph nodes. Um, something that I, I think uh, uh, is, uh, I guess, uh, to point out with respect to our local treatments is uh, there were, uh, if we look back and, and historically, Originally, breast cancer was treated surgically before we had chemotherapy, and there was very, very radical, meaning very um, intensive surgeries that were performed because even with surgery, there were bad outcomes. So the thought was, well, maybe we need to take more than just the breast. Maybe we need to take the muscle underneath or you know, more extensive. And so there's often, um, uh, if we look back at, at, you know, and historically there were some very disfiguring surgeries that were done, and of course now we've been, these are much more refined because we have additional treatments, but then um, there was an advent, um, you know, in the past few decades where we learned that we didn't always have to remove the breast. So we call that breast conservation. 
uh, therapy. And uh, that was really a new era in breast cancer treatment because before that, a breast cancer diagnosis always meant that you lost your breast. And these, this was also uh, before the day where we had a lot of different reconstructive op um, options. So um, uh, it was great that this therapy was found to be equivalent. This was all through clinical trials also. And what, um, there was a number of very, very large clinical trials that compared having the breast removed to having the tumor removed with radiation therapy. And so uh, these trials randomized women to get one treatment or another and then looked at outcomes. And really uh, interesting, uh, after uh, you know a number of these studies with in, in total more than a thousand women, a really long follow-up, they found that the outcomes were the same, which is uh, you know hard to you know so you might see it in in the press or in news that um, people say, well, I, I never want the cancer to come back, so I'm going to remove my breast. Um, removing your breast does decrease a lot of the breast cancer risk locally, but it's actually the same reduction you get if you get a lumpectomy and radiation therapy to the breast. So, and these studies have um, shown that over and over, um, if you look at the very well, well controlled studies. So that's um, something that uh, really revolutionized local treatment of breast cancer. And then over time, there have been more and more refinements to this where um, Whereas they used to, you know, test all of the lymph nodes in the underarm, now they can test, a, you know, just one or a couple or a few, and if there's no lymph nodes there, we don't need to take more. So over time, you know, we keep incrementally testing if it's okay to say do less treatment in some areas or in patients who, in sub groups of patients who aren't doing as well, do we need to add more treatments? So. Um, with, with those trials over time, we do get refinements in treatments. We learn when we don't need to give treatment and when we need more intensive treatment. I also wanted to talk to you about uh, breast cancer research. So we already talked a little bit about kind of the steps in research and you may or may not be surprised as to what, you know, how little of a slice it might seem of science that is. Um, I know when I first started in research, I was surprised by that. Um, because I was envisioning, you know, a cancer researchers go in and test something and gonna, you know, could find the cure for cancer in a year or something like that. In fact, my I have three daughters. Um, my two older daughters, my youngest one is only four, so she doesn't ask me this. But my older two daughters periodically are like, "Did you find the cure yet?" And I was like, "No, we're still working." <laughs> but they, they can't understand that, you know, the concept that you know you just can't find the cure that easily. But um, it is it is. A quite extensive process to do good rigorous research and unfortunately we can't just look under the microscope at a tumor and see how we should treat it or tell new new ways to treat that cancer we have to go back to the basic biology of that tumor and you know do things like determine new proteins that might get upregulated like HER2 um, you know certainly triple negative breast cancer we don't have a great target for that but certainly at least populations within the triple negative breast cancer group do have different proteins that get upregulated or downregulated that we could target or we could um, make use of with different drugs and we are testing those out. But it all begins with this basic research to even determine that there are different perhaps subgroups of this triple negative breast cancer. And if you, if you guys are doing, breast can or doing cancer research, you're probably um, 
if you don't, didn't know it already, you're coming to the realization that cancer isn't one disease, unfortunately. There's not gonna be one magic pill that can get rid of all cancers, and even breast cancer, that's not one disease. We just talked about the different subtypes. We can have ER positive, PR only positive, HER2 positive, HER2 and ER positive. We can have triple negative. And then we learn within that that there are different subtypes, say, of triple negative. So as you delve more into the specifics, you learn that it's probably it's many different diseases. They all have something in common. You have a cell that's grown out of control, but there's probably when we eventually, someday we're going to get to a point where I think most cancers can be cured or can be like a chronic disease, but it's not gonna be where there's only gonna be three treatments, say for breast cancer. It's gonna be like, oh, we're gonna test your tumor for this number, this panel of things, and based on what you have, you're gonna get X and Y drugs or X and Y treatments. I envision that that's, and we can see that now with certain types of tumors, certain subtypes of cancers, that we can get to a point where something where, you know, maybe the survival was really poor, say 10 years ago, you can see great, pretty dramatic changes in that we call survival curve or how long people are living with these advent of new drugs. So. That's the promise, and that's what we're all working toward. Unfortunately, it can't come soon enough. But so what I do in my lab, I, I, I feel like I'm lucky. I like to go to work every day. Um, on Thursdays, I have a jam-packed day full of seeing patients. I love seeing patients. I couldn't live without seeing the patients. But I also like to go back in the lab and to study biology directly related to the tumors that are causing my patients these problems. Um, so one of the things, main things that I do in my lab is I work with breast cancer cells. They're on a dish, they're bathed in fluid that kind of mimics some of the things that are in our blood that make cells grow. And you, if you're looking at the dish, you can't really see too much, there's a thin film on there on the bottom. But when you look under the microscope, if you guys have, if you're working with cells, um, it's, it's a different world. It's very exciting. I, I, I actually sometimes I give tours to some people in my lab, and one of the things that the their favorite thing to do when they're in the lab is to look under the microscope and to see what breast cancer cells look like. Any cancer cells. It's very, um, it's I would say kind of exciting, but also it's I guess humbling to say like these cells are what causes all of this misery, and these cells are relentless because these cells can adapt so quickly to those treatments that you give to them. And you just need one cell to survive and then to come back. So um, it's like you're staring at the enemy, right? So, but it's very exciting and actually um, they look, you know, when you look at them, they don't look like too much, but it, I mean, uh, if you actually look, if you're able to look for 24 hours with time-lapse photos, we can do this. You actually see these cells are like crawling and moving. But when you just look for you know, a minute or two, you can't see that. But these are, are active cells. They can move, they can migrate, they can spread. Um, and so we start with looking at cells in a dish. Unfortunately, we can't just look at that. Um, I would love if we could just look at that one. It's way cheaper than the other kinds of research models we have to use. Um, but a lot of things, we can cure cancer in a dish well, in a lot of ways. Then we go and we say, we put it in a tumor, say in an animal or in a mouse or some other model animal, 
and then maybe that treatment doesn't work as well, or maybe that treatment causes so many side effects that we say, well, it, 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 we can't give enough of this treatment to, to, to cure the, the animal because um, the animal gets too sick from the treatment. So you always have to start with cells or something basic, usually, not always, but usually, and then you have to go to what we call preclinical models or models of tumors in animals or other model systems. So I, I also do that in the lab. And I, um, I think one of the kind of exciting new areas of research and one of the things I study is something called the tumor microenvironment. So we just talked about all these tumor cells, right? So when we think about a tumor, we just think of the tumor cells, those cells that grow uncontrollably. But if you were to take a tumor out and you were to um, mash it up and look at what all is in that tumor, there's a lot of other cells and a lot of other things in that tumor that are not the tumor cells. There are immune cells that are, you know, your B and T cells and other kinds of, of cells that are important for your immune function and to keep you healthy. Um, and there are blood cells. Um, there, are, there are other blood cells and there's blood vessel cells. So the cells that bring the blood into the tumor, call it um, blood vessels. There's different types of cells in there. There's also supporting cells. Um, that give the, the tumor structure and make things that um, help the tumor to, um, uh, we call it a extracellular matrix, or to give it form so it's not, um, you know, jelly. Um, and all of these things are actually important when we're learning. Some of the models I have in my lab is we give, put the same tumor cells in animals, but the animals have different, a little bit different genetics, and the tumors grow much differently in the, in the animals, even though they're the same tumor cells and the tumors spread differently. Sometimes they spread to, say, the lungs or other sites, whereas other animals they don't. And they also respond to treatments differently. And so one of the things we're doing is we're determining what are these genetic differences and are they something we need to test for in patients to tell us who's more likely to respond to treatment and who's less likely, um, and tell us what else we need to look at in a cancer patient to determine what treatments to give them. So, um, and as I mentioned, there's immune cells in there as well, and you may have heard a lot in the news, but one of the new, uh, very exciting areas of cancer biology and cancer treatment is immune therapies for cancer. Um, right now, uh, immune treatments aren't used a lot in breast cancer. They're being studied, but um, there are certain types of cancer where immune therapies do work, uh, work quite well or work a lot better than breast cancer, but um, we're trying to determine ways in which we can make the, the immune system work better to target breast cancer, but um, right now it's not widely used. There are some clinical trials for certain type, subtypes of cancer in certain situations, um, and that's certainly something that I would look for in the future with respect to breast cancer treatment, but we're not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. there, there have been studies on uh, demographics looking at who's more likely to get breast cancer and also outcomes in different groups of patients. Um, actually, breast cancer is not more common in African Americans, um, but what we find in, in patients who have breast cancer is African Americans tend to get breast cancer um, uh, or have more younger patients who get breast cancer and they tend to more often 
get the triple negative subtype of breast cancer, which sometimes can be a little more aggressive because of um, you know, different reasons, but one of the reasons is we don't have these targeted treatments, but it also can tend to grow more aggressively. And so there's research being done as to, you know, is it because of genetics, genetic factors that lead um, different groups to be more, um, more, have a higher risk of certain subtypes of breast cancer? And then there's also research being done as to um, whether or not different groups might respond differently to some treatments. In general, for the basic treatments that I've touched upon mainly today, we don't have any evidence that different groups respond differently to those treatments. But some other treatments um, where we're looking at um, different newer markers in cancers, there's some evidence that perhaps they may be more or less important in the African-American patients. So there's actually, you know, even at our institution, there's one study that um, is looking at a, a certain drug that it looks like may work better in African-American breast cancer patients. Um, we don't know yet, it's something we're studying, but um, there certainly are differences, and in part it's probably um, genetic. There can be other factors um, as well. I really want to thank you all for your time. Thanks for listening to CTSI Science Cafe, brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin, recorded live at St. Dan's Center for Intergenerational Care, Bucyrus Campus in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We invite you to join us and be part of our next community conversation. To learn more about CTSI Science Cafe and how you can attend, please visit our website at ctsi.mcw.edu. While you're there, sign up as a community member. We need your help to advance clinical and translational team science and improve the health of people worldwide. And be sure to also check out our CTSI Discovery Radio podcast series as well. CTSI Science Cafe is produced by Dr. Oshoya Garrison, co-produced by Brian Belmer. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Doriel Ward and Dr. Reza Shakir.